Have you ever taught anyone? No. Who would you? I promise teach karate. You promise learn. I say you do. No, oh, I haven't seen you around. Have you been looking? Sorta. Sorta. Wax on, wax off. Don't forget to read. Very important. Ah, uh, wax on, wax, wax off. Come back tomorrow. If you don't come in my dojo and drop a challenge and leave, old man, then you get your boy in the matter. You and I will have a major problem. Name a place. Turn up. Is that understood? Yes, Sensei! Yeah, you hate the fight. So karate's fighting, you train to fight. That hard to think. No. They quite train. So I won't have to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast. We are your go-to source for ratings and recommendations of past and present films. I am your host, Wes Jones, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, this is Tommy, podcasting straight from Nashville, Tennessee. The Movie Buddy Conway, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, Real Talk listeners, we're back. And it's been a little while. We recorded The Craft there towards the end of January, and this is our first episode since. And there's been some changes around here. We we proved on The Craft episode that we really didn't know much of anything at all. And we had to be cultured by Mesa, our guest. And since then, we have been enlightened. We've learned valuable life lessons like personal balance, training the spirit, we're now anti-bullying, where in the past we've been very pro-bullying, especially T-Man. But most importantly, we've learned that we're just too old and we're just too lazy to actually take karate. So tonight, from the comfort of our couches and chairs, we're going to talk about The Karate Kid, 1984. And I want to go over to T-Man first because after the Mortal Kombat episode, he got really into air punching and I want to find out after the Karate Kid if he added anything to his in-home fight training. Hey Wes, uh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate uh, you know talking about bringing back the good times with Mortal Kombat. And you're right, you know I was really into air punching during that time period of my life, but now I'm into a new type of regiment, which I like to call uh, circle air punching. So it's a new thing that I'm doing, <laughs> and. You know, in the make-believe fights that I've been uh, doing lately, I'm winning. So I feel nice. like, it's, yeah, I feel like it's a really uh, a, an important step in my karate regimen. Um, and let me just say something that I don't think a lot of fans know about me. So remember how we talked about last episode where I was a sorcerer growing up, where I, ha- I have another side of me also, guys, and I don't think you guys even know this, that I was also a karate kid growing up mm. so there's a, another side of me that you guys don't know about that i you know this is a kind of an autobiographical film and that's why i really enjoyed it <laughs> well with all this training you've been doing i bet you're becoming really dangerous and with the virus and us being snowed in we really haven't got to see your move so we're real excited to maybe be out hanging out with you walking around nashville you know getting ready to go to a restaurant 
and maybe you'll get mugged or something, and we, we can see you break out the, this uh, this fighting, this martial arts. I think it's a good possibility that's going to happen. Um, I'm probably going to hire a guy to mug me so I can beat him up um, and show you how these moves. And the good part is, even if that doesn't go through, you'll still get to see him get mugged. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, we're way, which is one way or the other. Which is, let's be honest, a lot of people have been waiting for me to get mugged and to see it. So, <laughs> hey. all right. Well, let's let's bring the movie buddy in here. And Gabe, this was actually your choice for an episode. So first, t- how are you feeling tonight? And then tell the audience why you wanted to dive into the Karate Kid. Well, if I'm honest, I'm fe- I- I'm excited. I'm nervous because I want to do the Karate Kid justice. I didn't know we were going to have an actual Karate Kid on the show, so that adds to my nervousness. But, you know, I've been having some good days here lately. We've got a ton of snow here in Bowling Green. We've been having snow days galore. But my kid, you know, right before the episode said something that really kind of hit me hard, Wes. And so I didn't know you were going to put me on the spot like this. Um, I guess I should have assumed since I'm on a podcast. But he said, he said, Dad, what do you like doing with your uh, free time? And I was like, well, I, I like podcasting. And he was like, so you talk to people how on the on a microphone that aren't, aren't actually there? I was like, yeah. And then earlier today, he also asked me, what do you do at work? And I was like, talk on the phone. He was like, he was like, you spend a lot of time talking to people that aren't in the room with you. I was like, yeah, yeah, Jack, I'm one piece of electronics away from looking like a crazy person all of my life. But, you know, so outside of the realization that I spend all my time alone, you know, I've been doing pretty good. Well, good. So so what about the Karate Kid? What's uh, wh- Why'd you want to do this one? Because well, <laughs> well, I love the Karate Kid. The Karate Kid is an 80s classic. It, it doesn't get more 80s than... The Karate Kid, high school, the All Valley Tournament, you know, you know, it, I like reliving T-Man's childhood on this mm. podcast. I got you. Okay. Yeah, well. I feel like we have been reliving a lot of my childhood recently. It's bringing back a lot of good memories. Uh, but yeah, Gabe, this is the recurring trend with you. You keep wanting to relive my childhood. What's up with that, man? Well, yeah, I mean, I can't wait till we do Harry Potter and, you know, you can go back to your time at Hogwarts. I mean, we've got a lot of really cool things that we can cover here. And Karate Kid is just, I mean, it's the core of the 80s and I'm glad we're doing it. And I'm glad I'm forcing all these people to do it. (laughs) Well, I mean, with a movie as big as the Karate Kid, we brought along a little help tonight to keep real talk from completely ruining it. And we're joined tonight, which you've already heard, Nathan, but we're joined tonight by Phantom Galaxy Podcast with host and founder Nathan Bartlebaugh, and returning guest, Mr. Big Bill Van Vagel, who's also a co-host on Land of the Creeps. Gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk. How's things going tonight? Hey, we're going great. Thank you so much for having us, Wes. I'm sorry that I pulled back the curtain too early and opened my mouth, but the idea of Tommy getting mugged sort of forced me to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no uh, problem. <laughs> we're, we're doing great. We're, we're glad to be here and uh, reviewing the, the Karate Kid with you. Yeah, we're very excited. We literally were just recording bits for another podcast of uh, Phantom Galaxy before we came on. So I just had to go use the men's room for a moment, then zip back back and do it. But I'll I'll disagree with you guys. Instead of this being the film of the 80s, wasn't that Porky's? Uh, I mean, an argument can be made, I I guess. (laughs) Is that also an important part of T-Man's childhood? (laughs) Very important. (laughs) I hate to tell you this, guys, but I was the guy looking through the peephole. <laughs> I can't wait for you guys to review Flashdance and see which part of the uh, 80s experience that incorporates. 
We're going to have to wait for the episode. I can't give away all my childhood secrets. Well, we were fortunate enough to be on Phantom Galaxy back in December to talk different versions of A Christmas Carol, which I actually wound up didn't uh, not doing. Uh, just <laughs> picked a completely different movie. But it was actually <laughs> that a was really, really strange. It, it was looking back on it. But it was actually a really fun discussion. And uh, T-Man did soil our already tarnished name with an unprovoked uh, Tiny Tim Assault. But I digress. <laughs> Nathan, let's talk to you just a little bit about your, your podcast and tell our audience what they can expect if they hop over and listen to episodes of Phantom Galaxy. And also, I haven't heard this. Tell us the origin story. How did, how did this podcast come together? So this has been an on and off. And you can expect the same sort of haphazard quality that you find here at Real, Real Talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we can, uh, you know, it, it came about actually several years. It's been a it, it's been a kind of on and off again thing. I had originally attempted to get into podcasting back kind of like in I was a professional film critic for several years. And during that time, I thought, hey, I'm going to see all these screenings and stuff. And I was doing the, the written uh, critic gig. So I thought, Hey, let's do a podcast. It was difficult to find people at the time. I wasn't quite uh, connected into everyone who was doing it online. So I was sort of bringing in friends and, you know, we were getting together and we were recording. We didn't have a lot of great recording equipment. So it started, it's a initial life was as pop culture ninja. And that sort of fell by the wayside. And then I had a friend who had uh, come to me and wanted me to be a part of a podcast. And we did that for a while. And then uh, Phantom Galaxy sort of sprung out of that just uh, thinking, hey, you know, I really want to be able to discuss, you know, science fiction, fantasy, horror. At that time, I was starting to become aware of things like the horror movie podcast and Land of the Creeps and and, and did that for a few years. And then sort of what, you know, it, we were kind of just doing it in our, our home. We would get together every week with, with various buddies and uh, people moved away or it kind of fell out of, uh, you know, schedules and things like that. And my kids uh, we're growing up and that kind of started taking a lot of time. And it wasn't until this past year, particularly when kind of the pandemic happened, that suddenly there was a little of extra time. And I got to, got to know Bill and Greg and Dave over at the horror, uh, uh, land of the creeps and the, and the guys at the horror movie podcast and different places like that. And just sort of thought, Hey, this would be a, it would be fun to get back into it. And I and actually, it probably uh, started shortly after, uh, when did you guys start back in, in May or April? Back in April. Yeah. 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 So we, we picked this back up in June and I was like, you know, at the time, uh, Bill was, you, Bill and I were talking back and forth. I was like, Hey Bill, you want to, you want to do this podcast with me? He's like, well, I can't be a co-host Nathan, but sure. I'll come on for an episode or two. And so I just kind of, uh, you know, gaslighted him for a while thinking he was just a guest for about five or six episodes. And then he just became the co-host. So that's kind of how that happened. (laughs) He wore me down. Yes. And so over there we do, we talk science fiction, fantasy, horror. We've done, uh, we also go beyond that. Sometimes we, we do review episodes, but we've also tried to branch out and, uh, do a lot of interviews. And the thing about podcasts, and I know Bill kind of feels the same way I do is like, uh, I just enjoy talking movies and talking the genre with people. And, uh, you know, if I have to edit that and put it out later, that justifies just getting together and hanging out with everybody. So a lot of our, we probably have that sort of the same, a similar sort of laid back approach. I think that we, we get together, we have a topic and then we kind of just go for it. And, and what happens happens. And we had a great time when you guys came on to talk, um, the Christmas Carol episode. And it's funny cause we, we interviewed a few ladies, um, 
a couple weeks ago that have a podcast based around fantasy uh, fiction. And uh, one of them had mentioned that she said the one episode I listened to was the Christmas episode. You know, it made me realize something I never thought about. And that is that Tiny Tim is really the villain of the Christmas Carol. <laughs> no, no, that's not what she said. What she actually said was that she had never thought really about how all of those stories are essentially ghost stories. The, the, the horror element of it that mm -hmm. that the that the genesis of that and also how a wonderful life is kind of a ghost story so you know she she uh, she recognized that as well Wes but no um <laughs> tiny Tim you know he he is he's a monster hey, real quick uh so glad to have you on love being on your show but I gotta say you know uh I don't know if you guys check Twitter but I'm pretty sure that was trending that night you released that episode I think it was something like tiny Tim is a little bastard something like that <laughs> I, I have to go back and, uh, Twitter. I thought it was hashtag Tiny Tim is a little bastard. That's it, Wes. See, Wes, I knew you saw it. I, I'm I'm catching on. I know why Tommy is attacking Tiny Tim. It's it's because with his verbal barrage, if he does have to show off his karate kung fu ninja skills, he wants Tom, Tiny Tim to be his you know person that he has to fight. Uh, target small, well played. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be anti-bullying now. Gabe, you got me. Uh, oh, is that is that our thing? I thought that was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> wow! But isn't that the theme of this movie, anti-bullying? Just wait till our debate, then, and we'll see okay. who supports who. <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited because the last time I came on, it was your most downloaded episode. So I'm looking to up that. There you go. Maybe maybe we'll be able to do that. And and Bill, speaking of that, welcome back. Oh, thank you. And since Nathan covered Phantom Galaxy. Will you give us an update? What's going on over at Land of the Creeps? And also, how is your uh, stock in Tubi coming? Well, it's funny. It, it, my go-to is I have like two or three go-tos when I'm bored. I, I'll always check for a, an old Hammer film. I'll look for a Giallo film. Or I'll look for whatever the heck I find on Tubi. And between that, I find all kinds of layers of stuff I really shouldn't be watching or shouldn't have gotten my time back or anything like that. But... It's interesting watching Tubi, or even I'm finding guys, honestly, Prime. Prime has a lot of schlock, too. So you can find a lot of schlock on Prime, even Netflix. I mean, Netflix gets all the, you know, they've got the Night Stalker and all that kind of, you know, high-end stuff. But it's got a lot of crap, too. So you can find that kind of stuff anywhere. For Land of the Creeps with the wonderful Greg Amortis, the awesome Dr. Shock Dave Becker, and the beautiful and talented Pearl Morgan, you know, we covers horror any way which way you can anything from a, a fairy tale to torture porn and anything in between and anybody that likes fun laid-back analysis we're very interactive we have giveaways we do email shout outs we do twitter shout outs we have a phone line if you're even interested in the least bit the only difference between that and Phantom Galaxy is we're not PG necessarily. And sometimes Dave Becker goes off on a rant that you will piss your pants. It is absolutely hilarious. It takes <laughs> half a day to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it so really usually does. guarantee it. It's a minimum of four hours up to about six. The time we had Peter Nielsen on and he was in, in his closet talking about Nordic horror, it, the sun had set by the time for him we finished recording. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to this. I hadn't seen Karate Kid in ages. We'll get into that after. But I was jacked while I was teaching my classes. I was like, four more hours, four more hours. Four more hours. <laughs> Audience, here's what you can expect from tonight's show. 
Obviously, you see the kind of wild off the rails banter. But aside from that, um, we're gonna t- we're gonna do we're gonna kick things off with a little debate on who is the actual villain of the Karate Kid. Then we'll spend just a little bit of time talking about the TV show Cobra Kai, and then to to end things, our main event, we're gonna do a walkthrough of 1984's The Karate Kid, and put this episode to bed. So, gentlemen, let's do it. Ask one more small request. Make it fast. Ask leave boy alone to train. You're a pushy little bastard, ain't you? But I like that. I like that. All right. No one touches the prima donna until the tournament. Is that understood? Yes, sensei! This is one of the things that Gabe wanted to do. So I'm just going to turn it over to Gabe, and I think he's got an argument for who he thinks is the actual... Who's the villain of Karate Kid? Gabe, take it away. It's very clear the villain of Karate Kid is William Zabka. You know, there's been this new age that's, that you know, that's tried to bring him out of the weeds, I guess, and make him, like, everybody's favorite, like, sort of villain. And he he is, you know, I kind of, I root for him in the new show. I have to say that. But the karate, in the Karate Kid, he is clearly the villain. Um, let, let me, let me take you guys back. Imagine this. You're, you're at the beach. A guy walks up and steals the girl you're with's radio. He breaks it. Then after that, you've never met this guy. You're new to a town. He punches you and kicks you karate style just for talking to this girl. Then later on, he drives his motorcycle right past your head, pouring dust on you. I don't know what high school you guys went to, but when I was a kid, that's enough in itself. I'm not going to get into the millions of other things William Zadka does to him. That's enough in itself to say that you mean for war, that you want to fight. And that makes him our villain in this. What do you think, Tommy? Uh, well, first off, I got to say, thanks, thanks, Wes, for setting us up here. And, and good argument, Gabe. I appreciate that. And you do have something going for you when the movie is called The Karate Kid. So that they're trying to set you up as he is the hero. But there's just one problem with that. Is when, as you're watching the movie, you realize that Daniel is a straight-up psychopath. <laughs> he is psychopath. <laughs> I don't understand what is happening with him as we're watching the movie. It's like he's progressing into a serial killer throughout the film. So let's just set up that scene that you just talked about, Gabe, about the beach scene. Who is the antagonist? Who is the one that's actually being violent? And honestly, if you rewatch it, because I did, I rewatched it over and over again. Remember that scene in JFK when Kevin Costner talks about the bullet going back? That's what I did with this scene. I kept <laughs> reanalyzing it. Um, I got my 3D graphs out. I did a lot of, you know, investigative techniques here. But let's just talk about it real quickly. So Daniel is playing around with the soccer ball with Elizabeth, yeah. who he just met. And yeah, Johnny Lawrence, he just comes in just playfully, and he's just wanting to have a conversation with her. You remember, he just says, I just want to talk. I just want to talk. They're just, you know, they're having some trouble, you know relationships have those issues and Daniel just comes in there and like, just gets in the middle of them. Like he's basically like all up in their business. Like, Whoa, back up, dude. Don't even know. Mind you, (laughs) he has been in town for like five hours, five (laughs) hours. 
<laughs> he doesn't want to just chill. Like, I don't know what's going on with him. Anyway, so he's all up in their business. And then he basically throws down the, the uh, boom box and then he charges at Johnny Lawrence. He's the one that's setting off the violence. He comes at him twice. Johnny just steps aside each time and he sucker punches him into the face. He's the one that draws first blood. I have an alternate theory. The enemy is Mr. Miyagi's obstetrician. <laughs> I don't even know what rabbit hole we're about to go down. What? <laughs> well, there's a whole thing with Mr. Miyagi, first of all, we got to talk about in the movie that we'll definitely get to. What's happening he's got right now? Stuff going on. <laughs> is this the part where I reveal I didn't watch The Karate Kid at all, but Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon instead? So I <laughs> nothing, oh. nothing to add. I like that in 2020, we actually have to make a case for why William Zadka is the villain <laughs> in the movie, as if it's not it's not a, a abundantly clear. Yeah, guys, I can't go down this road of crazy town with you guys. I, look, I wanted this to be a debate. I did. But I've got this, this guy that's impossible to debate and T-Man over here. First of all, he hates Tiny Tim. He's telling me that he hates Danielson now. He thinks that he's a mean person. You can't get advice from him. Real talk. He told he told you basically he likes lying to you on the show. I, I don't know which direction to even go. Wait a minute, Gabe. This is about turning me into the villain. What is happening here? I think this you is are. the podcast equivalent of like a of a dysfunctional Thanksgiving family dinner. Look, look, we're guys. airing out all of our grievances. Yes. Like, let me take a step further. He is Tommy is the villain. I don't I don't even want to you know, it's not William Zabka. He's ruined my whole argument. I had a whole list of notes. He trips him and ruins his soccer tryouts. He knocks him off a cliff with motorcycles. He he uh he kicked his butt with the help of 12 friends. If you if that is not villain enough, you have to get revenge. You have to go back and fight in a tournament. But Tommy's going a different direction. He's he's pulling some sleight of hand on you guys. He's saying big words. He's making up the fact that he like watched the film in reverse. I don't know. It doesn't it's nonsensical, guys. Do not listen. Hey, listen off. First of all, all good arguments. I, I, I appreciate your, your candor, Gabe. But here, a couple, two more points that I'll make it and I'll rest my case. So, first off, Daniel gets into two fights within a day. Two fights. That is psychotic behavior. Like, he gets in a fight that night, and then the next day at soccer practice, he's getting into a fight again. So, he obviously has anger issues. Second off, so... When you look at Karate Kid as a movie, you kind of you, you can kind of see they ba basically have a rivalry. But I think to really understand who the true villain is, you've got to look at this like maybe any type of let's take like let's take a law. You really don't know the impact of that law until maybe 20, 30 years down the road. It's the same thing with this movie. You don't really know who the villain is until 30, 40 years later. And then when you watch Cobra Kai, you realize, wait a minute, it wasn't Johnny who was the villain. It was Daniel, because Daniel is not a good person. You realize that, how he treats people in later in his life, how he treats Johnny when he comes to him in that first episode of Cobra Kai. You realize that all along, Daniel was the villain, and Johnny was just misunderstood. And, and what was the last line of the film? Johnny saying, you're all right, LaRusso. Exactly. You think Daniel would have done that? No, Daniel would have tried to punch him in the face again. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't we all addressing the fact that both of these guys are clearly undercover cops because they're both 30 years old in high school? 
<laughs> that we yes, that there it's twenty one Jump Street. Departed, really, I mean that's what's happening in this movie. You know, this debate has really thrown me for a loop, T Man. I didn't know you were going to go these directions. Like, <laughs> all I'm going to say is, if it's not clear that 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 uh, Johnny Lawrence is an a hole, he deserved water on his head. He deserved everything he's got. The Danielson is the true, the truest, not only the truest of hero, he's the truest of a good person. And in your argument about Cobra Kai, they do have a funny scene, but you wouldn't have, you know, I like that you make judgments based on things that you haven't watched, you know, and, you know, because that's what, that's what Tommy likes to do, audience. Um, in the third season, they finally have a sit down in one of the old cars and they're like talking about old times. He was like, and Johnny's finally like, you know, I really was kind of an a-hole back then and you but they cycled through all the things that happened and, and you can kind of see both sides of the story i guess but um i don't know i just named 50 things he did to him and uh i feel like he was just defending himself so i mean i mean all johnny was trying to do is roll a joint in the men's room i mean really isn't that all you really want is privacy in the stall <laughs> while you're trying to get high he just wanted privacy exactly bill and what does daniel do turns on water on him <laughs> So, so I'm going to do something dangerous here and actually take uh, Gabe's point seriously for a minute here. <laughs> Thank it, you. Like rewatching this movie and uh, we got uh, we took the kids to see it actually to drive in over the summer. And it struck me one of the things I don't think I really remembered. Daniel gets beat up a lot like they really beat him pretty severely. I, you know, the movie is long and I forgot how much of it is just Lawrence and his little gang of of, of goons like beating him I, I was like he, he's getting some serious beatings here and i think it's hard with cobra kai coming back i think part of cobra kai though if you actually watch the whole show is that it's a little bit about looking at that that toxic mentality that was, that was part of cobra kai and then also the parts that maybe weren't always so great about uh, Miyagi's perspective, and maybe not Miyagi's perspective, but how Daniel took Miyagi's perspective and applied it to his life. So I think that they're trying for the shades of gray. I don't think we're supposed to. I know some people have kind of broken it down to, oh, you know, well, now Zabka's playing the sort of underdog, broken down guy. But I mean, uh, he, he still blames Johnny, but the show makes pretty clearly that he, everything that has happened to him, he's basically done to himself. And he kind of continues to do that in the... Uh, in in the in the show, I, it, but you see where Daniel isn't necessarily, you know, he's let himself stray a little bit from where he was. I don't. I think that the movie, one of the issues of the movie, is that Daniel doesn't always come off. Uh, you know, he he comes off a little cockier, and he doesn't. He's the hero, but sometimes he could be kind of grating if you're to step back and look at it. But there's no doubt that Johnny Johnny, he they go above and beyond with the bullying. I think. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan, for somebody finally taking my side. And thank you for reminding me about the beatings that he took. Because there is a scene where his friends are literally holding him while while William Zabka's beating him. And there's five of them around. That's even frowned upon in prison, Tommy. That's frowned upon in prison. <laughs> it's bad enough that the handyman has to start beating children. That's, what, that's where the line <laughs> yeah. is. I was just going to say, I never proclaimed Johnny to be a perfect guy. I never proclaimed to be him to be a model citizen. He has flaws just like the rest of us. I have flaws. Everybody on this podcast has flaws. But he's not a raging psychopath like Daniel is. Raging, in, raging against um, 
his mom, yelling at his mom, throwing his bike in the garbage dumpster, <laughs> yelling at Mr. Miyagi, yelling at everybody that he sees, frustrated his life and frustrated the things that he does not have. And he was he's he's ranting and raging against Johnny, and Johnny didn't deserve it. So oh, when you say raging psychopath, what you really mean to say is teenager. <laughs> well, I don't even fault him there. His mom did move him across the country to live in a hotel without a pool and syphilis. I was going to say she is the villain. Right. And, the and villain. Yeah, maybe, maybe Daniel's mom's the villain. <laughs> yes, she, she probably is. <laughs> well, just as we're kind of wrapping this segment up, you know, Bill and everybody has actually brought up Cobra Kai. And Gabe, I did want to turn it back over to you just a little bit to just, you know, talk about Cobra Kai. And again, one of the reasons why you wanted to do an episode on the Karate Kid is due to the popularity of the show. And I think they're in their third season now, or maybe their third season has just wrapped up. But Gabe, go ahead. What do you, what do you got for us on Cobra Kai? Yeah. So uh, um, when we started this podcast, and I'm really happy to have Nathan and Bill on here, and Nathan basically told us we inspired him to start podcasting a lot more recently. So I'm really <laughs> proud of that. Said? Is that what he said? Yeah. Basically, he said we started in April. He started in May or something. And then, and so basically, we were his inspiration for the show. And then he said we all have some, the same kind of banter and horrible somethingness. I don't remember, but, you know, you there are words spoken in a basic order. You got it. Yeah. See, nailed it. <laughs> Anyway, that's why, um, anyway, so, but the basic gist is I was sitting in my office and we wanted this podcast to be kind of like South Park, you know, where we could just, there could be a current event and then we could, we could talk about a movie about it. Well, everybody in my office was talking about Cobra Kai. They were talking about this third season. They were talking about the end fight sequence and, you know, everybody, there were like five or six people talking about it. I was like, oh, we got to do, uh, the karate kid. So we, we're doing it. But I love Cobra Kai. A while back, I downloaded uh, YouTube Red or whatever it was just so I could watch the first season. I love the light they sh- shed on William Zabka. I I can't say it better than Nathan said. The The movie's about, or the show's about everything that he's done to himself and how he's kind of got himself in these horrible situations, but dealing with it as an adult and having to grow up as an adult and I watched the first season in hopes that it would be good, but expecting it would be bad, but it was awesome. And then the second season, you know, I was like, they can't duplicate it. Well, the second season was even better. There's an awesome school fight scene that you're going to love if you haven't seen this show. And then Netflix picks it up and Netflix really dumped some money into it because they had to have it. And they did a fantastic job with season three. There's a, like I said, a wonderful scene where William Zabka and uh, or Johnny Lawrence and I don't know which way I'm going to refer to him and and Danielson sit in a car and rehash old moments. But I mean, for any Karate Kid fan, they have the Putt Putt Palace or whatever it is. They got everything. It's it's fantastic. You have to go back and watch. Gabe, just one one thing I wanted to ask you about. Did you say you'd been watching Red Tube? Uh, it's no, not Red Tube. <laughs> Red. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip there, Gabe. <laughs> no, he clearly said YouTube Red, which was a thing for all about you know three months. Yeah. Oh, it okay. okay. Just, everybody, just make, everybody just bought it just so they oh, could watch. I kid. perked. Yeah, I perked up there for a minute. I was like, oh, this is getting interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that that wasn't actually Karate Kid. I was watching. That was something really different. Something else with people in robes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Nathan, as we started, before we started recording, 
you had mentioned that you've actually been watching Cobra Guy too. So any additional thoughts on top of what Gabe said? Yeah, I, I agree with what Gabe saying that the show, you know, it took a little bit for me to really kind of get into it. But I agree that after the first couple episodes, it was clear that this wasn't, you know, yes, it's about rehashing nostalgia. And it isn't really coy about that. It just does that up front. But at the same time, it it brings Zabu back and it does something with him and it does something with Johnny Lawrence. And I, now, to be fair, do I think that that's really the trajectory of Lawrence? I mean, he looked like he was going to go on to be a pretty successful jerk. You know, as far as I could tell from being the Karate Kid, I don't know that he would have lapsed and become this. But watching him try to kind of navigate all this and the and honestly, as they start to have him and, and Daniel interact more, I think that's where the show does get has some of its better, brighter spots because they do have a little bit of chemistry together. And I was growing up, Karate Kid wasn't necessarily, you know, the movie that connected with me you know, as it did to everybody else, you know, the karate fights were secondary to the relationships, the Miyagi and Daniel relationship and the Daniel and uh, Johnny relationships here. I, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that going. I still don't know that the show, given their rivalry, it's sort of almost ignores that last line where he does say, hey, you're OK, LaRusso. You get the idea that maybe they just sort of glossed over that a little bit. But season three, I think, is really good. You see the production values go up and and it also has a sense of humor about itself that 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 karate fight that happens in the school, what do they refer? You see people in the news referring to it as like a karate frenzy or something like yeah. that, you know, get the idea that this is, you know, we're not in the eighties anymore. So how, how frequent is it? I guess California still has karate gangs popping up here and there everywhere <laughs> and disrupting schools, but um, it's a lot of fun. They even go back to the elements of karate, karate kid part two, you know, that when, uh, and, and they bring in elements oh, yeah. of Miyagi. obviously he's not in the show, but I think they do a great job of sort of honoring, Pat Morita's contributions to that, to the whole series. And and seeing Daniel also take inventory that, you know, the issues that anything that he's fallen by the wayside on aren't necessarily issues with Miyagi's teachings, but how he interpreted Miyagi's teachings. And I, But it's a lot of fun. They also do a good job of giving this younger cast who has to play off of these older characters. There's two layers here. We like these new kids. We like inter- we like seeing them interact with one another, and they're interesting. They're, it takes a little while for them to be as interesting as some of the other characters. Yeah. But I, you know, I will say this, and I, I think I probably let everybody know that I don't view the Karate Kid on a pedestal. I like Cobra Kai better than the Karate Kid, honestly. Wow, big talk, and and the end of the podcast. Shut it down. Shut it all oh, down. Oh, and and and, and uh, Martin Cove. I think we can't mention like he. He's really he comes back. I think it's uh, not a big spoiler, and he's really good. And and on what you said, I mean, I, I definitely think everybody should check it out. And I think part of the r- way that they did it is they did it right. They had the right idea to focus on William Zabka, and I think it played really well for everybody. I think everybody likes that fact. Well, that is our strange debate, and then some information on Cobra Kai. <laughs> So <laughs> I think we are ready to dive into our main event here, which is 1984's The Karate Kid. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? No, Sensei. No mercy. What we'll be doing is we're going to break The Karate Kid down. 
We're going to do talk about different elements of the movie. I'll be throwing out some handful of scenes, and we refer to those as just sequences. And then our panel here is just going to talk about whatever comes to mind, which may scare you after earlier, but uh, just buckle up, and we'll get through this together. I got to do the spoiler warning. If you haven't seen The Karate Kid from 1984, there's going to be major spoilers, including the ending. So if you haven't seen it, you might want to pause it, watch it, and come back to enjoy our walkthrough. Just a little history on The Karate Kid. And if anybody has any comments or anything, just feel free to throw them out at any point. But it's an American martial arts drama directed by uh, John G. Alvidson. And if that name sounds familiar, it's probably because he won an Academy Award for Best Director for 1976's Rocky. Yes, Rocky and Karate Kid have the same director. And he's had a really interesting career, most notably for major the major films that I just mentioned. And also, he, he won an Academy Award for a documentary short called Traveling Hopeful. He also had a lot of critically panned films. And some Razzie Award wins and nominations for movies such as The Formula, Karate Kid 3, the atrocious Rocky V. And what's interesting about John's major films, Rocky and Karate Kid, is that they both follow nearly the same trajectory for success. They both had very low budgets, very low expectations, became major box office successes and sleeper hits for the production companies. Both received Academy Award nominations and wins, you know, recommendations. It launched the careers of the lead characters into stardom. It really launched them into stardom, and it both have now created both big franchises. So I don't know what you guys think about John G. Alvidson, but what do you think about his direction in this movie? What do you think about his career? Any comments? Did you mention he also did Lean On Me? I did not. I didn't throw that one in there, but yes, he did. Yeah, so, I mean, he likes that every every uh, movie tells a story kind of thing. There's some kind of morality or some kind of lesson to be learned from the movies. Nathan, T-Man, you guys are really like our, our film historian type people. Would any, any comments on him or his career? Yeah, I think he's a really good director, and one of the things he's good at is directing these movies that – uh, they're kind of two things at once. Uh, Rocky and Karate Kid, they are kind of like sport events movies, right? So he has a structure that you're going to sort of follow. And yet, you know, we're talking full spoilers here. So the interesting thing is that he kind of, even though they have a lot of similarities, Rocky and Karate Kid go in kind of two different directions there. And it's funny because I remember Siskel and Ebert reviewing this movie, uh, The Karate Kid, and, and I think... Uh, Ebert said something like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be very predictable because if you've already seen Rocky, but as we know, you know, one movie, there's uh, someone doesn't win the big fight in another movie, someone does win the big fight. And you can make the case for why that might be good or bad in either movie, but he has the formula, but he does two different things with him. I, Karate Kid and Rocky are really two different movies, but they have the same feel. You know, you could really kind of, you could pair them back to back and sort of watch them. And I think about his directing, I think that's really strong or good and probably is a little bit underrated. Lean on me is another good example of it. Uh, he's done a couple other movies that I think are, are you know, uh, the power of one, I think is kind of an underrated movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a, it's another movie that has a lot, you know, there's a lot of uh, the physical kinetic, you know, there's, there's some martial arts stuff in that film too, that he's really good at directing that stuff. I think in the karate kid, it, 
it's clear in a few scenes that maybe some of these kids don't know karate. But the way he structures those big events, the boxing and the and the the karate matches, they're exciting. We get into them. But then Rocky, no one would remember Rocky, and I don't think many people would remember much about the karate kid if he didn't you didn't have those very well directed scenes between Rocky and Adrian and Rocky and and um, Mickey, you know, and scenes between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel. And even Daniel and his mother, those sequences are very uh intimate and they're really the kind of thing of a that derives a relational drama but they're in movies that kind of play like action sports movies i i I think he he was probably sort of underrated in that fact that he could really make a crowd-pleasing movie with really strong characters i don't think that's as easy to do uh particularly these days as as he made it seem no i think that's great great points as the other thing you notice about his films is he knows how to meld action scenes and music Mm-hmm. Between Rocky, between Karate Kid, between Lean on Me, pivotal scenes have a soundtrack you're not going to forget. I mean, the first time I heard Cruel Summer, I'm like, oh, that's Karate Kid. You know, the first mm-hmm. time you hear pum 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 pum, that's Rocky. Yeah, the first time you hear uh, Bill Withers do Lean on Me, you know, like he knows how to build action and atmosphere using the score, using contemporary music. Now, and I'm just going to jump in here real quick, and I'm sorry, guys, I hate to do this. Maybe I am really turning into the villain of this podcast, but I'm just going to have to <laughs> to kind of disagree <laughs> with you all because I don't think I don't think he's a very good director, actually. And the more I thought about it, you know, rewatching The Karate Kid, I didn't think the direction was good at all, honestly. And then looking at his filmography, it's really bad. Like he's nominated for three Razzie Awards. He did win an Academy Award for Best Direction, which is amazing, which doesn't really tell you a whole lot because, as we all know, as movie fans, the Oscars get it wrong most every year. But he, I will say this. Rocky is a great movie. Great crowd pleaser. I don't know if it's the direction that really stands out, but it is a great, enjoyable movie. But I don't know if it, the rest of it, he's He reminds me of one of those journeyman directors that has a lot of films, a, f- a couple hits, but a lot of films that are just kind of, of like either average or below average, and so to me, like when I think of the name, are you, Johnny, uh, are you suggesting that eight seconds the bull riding movie is below average? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's one of them I saw on there. I was like, oh, he directed that one. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am. Journeyman yeah. is a great way to describe him, but I, I do think he has some skill in that. He also directed Rocky Five, which is one of the worst movies I've seen. Or Rocky... I don't know if the direction is the fault of Rocky Five. <laughs> well, there's, there's many faults. First of all, Rocky has brain damage in it. When honestly, you know, you would have thought that anyway just from seeing Sly Stallone act. But he like, <laughs> but the movie is just anyway. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just rewatching this film and then looking at his filmography. Um, to me, like I said, he's just kind of that prototypical journeyman that. I don't want to say got lucky because he has a little bit, he has a talent enough to win an Academy Award, but he just doesn't blow me away from a director standpoint. I just looked at his IMDb. I haven't seen it, but I got to watch OK Bill. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's a good one for you. I see how Wes is. He goes, let's go to our film experts, Tommy and Nathan. And he just kind of threw me to the I side said there. Historian, but historian. His- Oh, historians. Okay, but but which is probably another word for expert. Lots of psychological games going on on this. Yeah, lots of lots of psychological like like 
side punches, you know, being thrown here. But uh, hey, audience, you just heard it. Tommy hates Sly Stallone too. He he hates Sly Stallone, hates Tiny Tim, and he hates Danielson. So we know. haven't even gotten to a Sly episode because I am going to go off on that. You one. make your own judgments on <laughs> he, Tommy here. He but, hates the underdog. He hates them. <laughs> he hates the uh, and he 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 with a passion. But guys, if we're if we're talking about this director, John Alvinson, thank you for making the marathons that come on TNT that every male watches. Thank you. Yeah. You're a you are a genius and on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock you make all the movies that we all watch. Thank you. Gabe, he's dead. Well uh awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so wherever you are, John. Thank you. Yeah. What's there funny you is it, it says he died in 2017, yet he's set to direct The Karate Kid 2. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pat Morita is going to be in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How's revenge? Daniel San, you look revenge that way. Start by digging to a grave. Well, the Wikipedia synopsis for The Karate Kid is the film follows Daniel LaRusso a teenager um, taught karate by Mr. Miyagi to help defend himself and compete in a tournament against his bullies, one of which is the ex-boyfriend of his love interest, Allie Mills. So, gentlemen, I'll bring everybody in on this question. Just what are you, just some initial thoughts on the movie? And, you know, if you remember the first time that you saw a Karate Kid. I saw this probably within a year of when it came out because it would have come out and then it would have come out on VCR. So I would have seen it probably in 85. And it's one of those ones, as soon as you see it, you remember it. And then back in the day when you were in class and at the end of the year, the teacher would roll out the VCR and there'd be one that, you know, you want to let the class watch. This one would always come up. So I've, I've probably seen this film, I don't know, 20 times, but I had yet to actually watch the film with a critical eye. You're always just watching certain scenes. You know, you have them in the back of your head. You know the scene after the dance. You know the scene at the end. You know the scene where he walks into the dojo. But the parts of it you don't realize is kind of the stuff in between. And we can kind of get into that as we go. But I just thought it was nice to watch it, to actually take notes or critically just watch, you know, the character building and the dialogue. And was it as good as strong or do you have you know, gla uh, glasses on from when you were 13 as opposed to being a fully informed adult. I can remember the first time I watched The Karate Kid, and I did it in reverse order. I This is weird. I had a Nintendo, and I rented the Nintendo game, The Karate Kid, which is the worst <laughs> video game of all time. There's this, you know, catching flies with uh, chopsticks part, but I was, <laughs> for some reason as a kid, I played that in even though it was terrible, I mean, it was a, it's, it's a terrible game, but I was like, I got to watch this movie. And I was really into surf ninjas back then. So don't judge me. So I was like, man, this has to be good. <laughs> Bam. Surf ninjas, then karate kid. It's a logical, you know, yeah. It's a logical, <laughs> logical progression. Line, through line. Yeah. So, so I was going to say, is the next film we do surf Nazis must die. No, I, I, I've no, I, I, that's got to be on Tubi, and T Man can't support that. <laughs> we we no. reject that notion. I'm trying to short. I'm trying to put a short stock to Tubi to bring it down on the inside. <laughs> um, but when it comes to Karate Kid, you know, I loved the movie as a kid. I still remember. I think we all do, kind of, you know, just loving the inspirational aspect of it, the underdog aspect of it, 
and just the kick at the end, and then Mr. Miyagi. Um, so it's one of those films that, as a kid growing up, I always really loved it. Now, re-watching it, I know we're going to get into it more, I it didn't hold up, in my opinion, that well. I think there's still good aspects of it. I think it's it's really long for this type of movie. To me, it's like over two hours, which for this type of movie, it just kind of drags for a, quite a long time. There's still some good aspects of it that we'll talk about, but it's definitely one of those. And, and I found these, this happens a lot, honestly, where you love a movie as a kid, but it just doesn't impact you the same way as an adult. Well, the last thing that I wanted to say about The Karate Kid before we actually do the walkthrough is is the screenplay is by Robert Mark Kamen. And this writer, he has had a remarkable career. He's worked on screenplays for Under Siege, The Fugitive, The Fifth Element, The Devil's Advocate, one of my favorite martial arts movie, Kiss of the Dragon, Taken, on and on. So he's had a really nice career, especially in the action realm. And The Karate Kid was actually semi-autobiographical for him as he grew up being bullied and took martial arts to defend himself. And the first teacher that he had who, who taught him martial arts used them as a tool for violence and revenge. That's what he was actually being taught in the class. And ultimately, he wound up under the instruction of a Japanese teacher who taught him the appropriate way. So in that real-life account, I think we can all see how much it influenced him writing the screenplay of The Karate Kid. All right. We're ready for our walkthrough, and again, on the spoiler warning, the movie opens with teenager Daniel LaRusso, played by Ralph Macchio, and his widowed mother, Lucille, played by Randy Heller. They're moving from New Jersey to L.A. after Lucille gets a new job. Their status, I'm assuming, is supposed to be lower middle class. Daniel isn't excited about the move, but his mom has promised them a better life. When they arrive to their new digs, Daniel is disappointed to find that the complex is completely run down. As Gabe said earlier, it looks like a hotel. He does instantly make a friend, Freddy, and when the kitchen faucet uh, almost immediately breaks, Daniel goes to see the new maintenance man, Mr. Miyagi, played by Pat Morita, who is attempting to catch a fly with chopsticks, and Mr. Miyagi says he'll fix the faucets. So let's just dive into this opening a little bit. We meet our two main characters, what did you guys think of the opening for The Karate Kid? Wes, I'll just jump in here real quick. And, and one thing that struck me right off the bat, and actually I did like this aspect of it, is you, you saw that they were kind of lower middle class, like you, like you mentioned. <clears throat> and I don't think you get a lot of representation from that demographic a lot in movies. You get a lot of upper middle class, a lot of rich people, and then a lot of poor people. But you don't get that subsect of maybe blue collar to lower middle class that's right in there um, a, a lot. And I kind of appreciated seeing that aspect from that film. It almost made it a little more real. It, it added something to it that not a lot of, I guess you could say, kids or teenager films have a little a, a realism to it. And also brought a class aspect to the film, which I think um, added, like I said, another value element to it also. The other part I liked not having seen it in a while is you realize the cinematography isn't too bad because there's some really nice shots of the picturesque mountains uh, driving along through there. And by the way, I love that uh, station wagon. It's I mean, that's National Lampoon's vacation-esque. I, I thought that was a killer uh, car that they had. Uh, I love the station wagon, how they have to push it to start it and jump in, I, you know, because people can remember and relate to you know, having those cars back in that, in that day. But 
Yeah, I, I'm like you, Bill. I love the cinematography. But I will say the one thing I hope to teach my kids is don't go into a, a random closet with a maintenance guy at a hotel that looks like it is the hotel that people hook up at. Not something you should do. Gabe, it's an apartment complex. It's not a hotel. <laughs> it looks like the sleazy inn that you know to stay away Either from. Either way, the, staying away from the maintenance closet with the handyman is typically a, a good call. <laughs> Make comments about that and obviously you know kind of the, the kind of cynical part of like why is he hanging out with a handyman and of course you know 2010's karate kid improved that completely by making the kid like eight or nine years old you know yeah and that's hanging safe. out with jackie chan so <laughs> that was even better but and then jackie chan got to beat up nine-year-olds but the uh the thing about that opening when and, and everything you guys said is true i think the class thing uh where they are that kind of lower middle class but you know they're they're doing fine and they come into this world where they're just dismissed and that is plays it big into daniel's uh you know a lot of what he pushes back against yeah he's getting beat up but part of what he's trying to prove himself at least initially is based off of this fact that he feels he has to prove something and all that setup is nice when you introduce pat marita though at, like he's just such again a lot of the movie for me uh, I didn't go into too much about my first time seeing it, but it, it took me a while to really like get into it. It wasn't the one that immediately connected with, and I don't think it's a super great movie. I don't have those kind of rose tinted glasses of like the, you know, the cinematic nostalgia disorder or whatever. Of, oh, I, I really love this as a kid. So not every element of this movie really connects with me today, but that Pat Morita character, the Mr. Miyagi character, I feel like, he feels relatively like original. He, he he's got his basis on a lot of different things we've probably seen before. But at that point in time, the way they handle him and the authenticity that he does feel like a real caring person, I don't think watching it as you're younger and even later until you're really like trying to kind of be silly with it, he, he, you don't think much. But he doesn't come off creepy. You know, he comes off caring right from the get go. And then the way he kind of unspools that character. That opening scene, you know, you've got the fly and the chopsticks, but right off the bat, I mean, people watching this movie that were maybe a little bit older than us were thinking, oh, this is Arnold from Happy Days, right? He had something to prove. He had to to kind of recreate this character. So this is the first time people maybe had seen Pat Morita. I just think it's such a great introduction to that character. He's the centerpiece. He's the heart of the movie, really. And he has such an awesome introduction that you don't find him creepy or sketchy or weird. I didn't anyway. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. He was a, a comedic actor and he actually spoke with with no accent. He had no Japanese accent. And the producers initially did not want him for a serious role. But after his audition and him practicing his uncle's accent, they were really impressed and offered him the role. And he wound up being nominated for Best Supporting Actor uh, by the Academy. Am I the only one whose favorite uh character in the opening couple scenes was Francis Bay, who played the uh, person, uh, the, the other lady from New Jersey sitting beside that wonderful pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are the only one. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw her, I thought of Seinfeld. Marble Rye! Marble Rye! Like she's, <laughs> and she was in Happy Gilmore. Like, I saw her right away. I'm like, oh, I yeah. know her. Mm -hmm. yeah. I knew her right away. <laughs> I forgot the Happy Gilmore chick was in this. That is her. I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought that was interesting because there's lots of people in this cast. I mean, we, I'm sure we can go after it later. That everything there's not a person in this cast you haven't heard of them in something. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. 
Well, my main takeaway from this this opening of the Karate Kid is what is up with these scenes where people, when they're leaving, and other people, typically kids, are saying goodbye, and they have to start chasing the car and waving into the windows, and they just keep saying bye over and over. Has anyone witnessed this in real life? I have only <laughs> seen this in movies. Yes, <laughs> and in the yes, 80s. I've done it. We, yeah, well, we could not <laughs> leave my parents' home, my, my, my parents, my grandparents' home, with it now them literally following you to the end of the drive. Well, you had to account for it in your trip. And it would end like that, you know, it's just, just about running. It's like we're on the we're on the road now, so we should be safe, but you gotta make sure you don't back over, you know, grandpa. Yeah, that's yeah, it was just a normal thing for me. I don't know. That's, I never chase cars personally, but Yeah, when you say goodbye, you start in the house and you run to your car really fast and just, just like wheel <laughs> yes. out. They don't have the time to get outside and wave you goodbye. Do I smell fire and then you just bolt? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we'll get into our next sequence here. So the next day, Daniel joins Freddy at a beach party where he meets a group of guys. They're playing soccer, hanging out. He meets a beautiful blonde named Allie Mills, played by Elizabeth Shue. At nightfall, some kids on motorcycles show up. Their leader, Johnny Lawrence, played by William Zabka, is Allie's ex-boyfriend, and he witnesses her and Daniel getting close. Johnny's minion friends, Tommy and Bobby, tell him, don't worry about it. But Johnny wants to crash the party. They circle the bonfire. Then Johnny has an argument with Allie where he destroys a radio. Daniels tries to stand up to him, but Johnny's well-trained in martial arts and kicks Daniel's ass right in front of his friends and Allie. His, friend, his friends ditch him, and Daniel refuses help from Allie and is left alone. So apparently you can't lose a fight in L.A. because people will just straight up leave you face down in the sand. But what did you guys think about this beat? beach scene and introduction to Johnny and our first fight. Well, it, it shows right off the bat that Daniel's psychotic. You know, he's getting into a fight. He's whoa, the whoa, one whoa, the ba- debate the is fight. Huh? What? <laughs> debate is over. We're not going back. Oh. I tried to go back into it when we were doing Die Hard and you said <laughs> I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making my observations here. This isn't about the debate. I'm just seeing that Daniel's acting like a punk. Anyway, regardless, um, it is it is a good scene though because I love when Johnny rolls up in his motorcycle and his motorcycle gang. It's like, man, that's what man, that is a cool high schooler right there. I want to be him. <laughs> he should be in jail. What do you mean? No. I want to be in prison <laughs> for the things that I do. And I like Wes's point. I really love, I mean, honestly, like, is that a qualification for being in a group of friends? Like this guy who loved him when he shows up at the apartment, who's basically just actually kind of creepily like dragging him around the apartment, carrying his stuff, just going in. Like suddenly he loses a fight and he's like, oh, we got to leave this guy. I can't well, be seen with this guy. He didn't know him though. Like he'd known him for like three hours. If I would have known a guy for three hours and seen him get beat up, I'd be like, ah, all right. I winced the most when I saw the uh, boombox getting beaten up. I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's a piece of history. What the hell are you doing beating this thing up? <laughs> that's, that's all Bill was worried about. He, he wasn't worried about the kid's health. Just don't damage the radio. Yeah, yeah. The boombox didn't audio. do anything. Yeah. yeah it, it, it One thing I def- did like about the fight also that's a good point is like i love how in movies because i've never seen this ever in real life is like how all of a sudden they just go to their karate stances i've never seen that ever but they're (laughs) just automatically like all right we're gonna fight 
karate style. Like instead of like just like throwing or you wrestling. You kind of just want to see Daniel wrap his shirt over his head and punch that in the stomach three times and then kick him in the groin. <laughs> yes. That's what you get when you learn karate from a book. <laughs> or from a guy behind the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Well, what's interesting is that uh, Crispin Glover was actually considered for the role of Johnny, which I really can't see him playing that role very well. But man, I sure would have loved to see him try. That would have been insane. I can't even imagine play the role of Johnny now, but as a teenager. Yes, yeah, that would be good too. Wouldn't that have been about the time of as the part four and Friday Thirteenth? Yes. That would have been like almost bang on. So uh, he would have had to have shuttled over to the next lot. <laughs> too weird though, right? I think he could have played a Johnny Minion, but not Johnny. The Johnny yeah, he just, Minion. He's he just have... too non-threatening. He could, I love he could the have... term Minion Friend, by the way, Wes. That's good, Minion Friend. Yes. <laughs> Either have friends or Minion Friends, and you gotta have you minions. Yourself. <laughs> I'm always looking for Minions. I'm always on the lookout. Yeah, Crispin could have been Dutch. Did anybody else notice this? Was Elizabeth Shue, was she not born looking 30? Yeah. Like, she still yeah. looks 30 today, and she looked 30 then. Oh, see, well, Wes, does it... was, was, was she? Because, again, like, Machio was, was a bit older, right, when he was he in was, the... He was kid. 22. He was yeah, 22. She was 20, I think. Okay, so, yeah. it's Again, they do have that whole thing. I think they're all undercover cops, but, you know, plainclothes cops, but... Yes, she definitely does, and she kind of looks the same. She isn't. She doesn't change that much over the next like decade or so. Mm-hmm. She just looks just kind of. She's very pretty, but she's very mom. Wes, I don't think you can call a woman mommy. Like <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I said momly. Can it's mom, not healthy. Mom. I don't think you can say momly. I think that you know we're in a new era here. I don't think that that's a yeah. way. We're well, on the edge getting canceled. We just got canceled. <laughs> okay, well, well we've been <laughs> trying. <laughs> We've been aiming for it. She's very attractive, though, and I'm glad that she came back in the Cobra Kai. I mean, and I agree with you, Wes. For for what it's worth, she does look pretty much the same. She aged well. I will but say that her age is the same. What I think it's going for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but that does kind of come back in the third season of uh, Cobra Kai a little bit. You know, like these Johnny, Johnny, and Daniel are on the way to being man children, even in this film, and. She's she's the hero of Karate Kid because she puts up with both of these guys. Yes. And both of them are still figuring out who they are. Yeah. But honestly, that's kind of a trait with actors that have longevity, if you uh, if you notice, is like they don't change. Like they kind of look the same for a long periods of time. And I mean, I think it has a combination of genetics and, you know, Hollywood has all the best of everything. Uh, but Elizabeth Shue, I think she definitely fits into that. But there's a lot of actors that you could look back 20 years ago and like, wow, they haven't really changed a whole lot, which is pretty impressive. Kind of like Pat Sajak. Maybe her, him and Elizabeth Shue are both robots. It's not who I was going for, Gabe, but <laughs> yes. Now I just want to talk adventures and babysitting. Ah, <laughs> uh, classic. The other thing that I noticed about this sequence, and then we can move on, but this is the sequence where I started noticing that the dialogue is definitely not going to be the movie's strong point. I just, (laughs) I love the kind of the panicky, rapid fire dialogue during any escalated emotional scene in the movie. You know, you get, it's not your fault. It is my fault. It's, I I just wanted to talk. Come on, punk. Yeah, where have I heard that before? Just, I mean, it was just like, just bam, 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 bam. Almost like it was just improvised. It's just rapid fire words. And I was like, what is happening? 
No one else, huh? Okay. No, no. Well, I, I think it was improvised. It seems improvised. When you compare that to some of the better writing and in the in the film when you have those conversations, I mean that it, it does just seem like a bunch of kids that are about to go buck and you know they're just saying all kinds of nonsense stuff, basically, you know, filler. Look, it's realistic. Bill's a teacher, he can tell us. That's how kids talk. They don't they don't have a lot of like, you know, they're just you did do it to me. You're a meanie. You know, stuff like you're not gonna break into Shakespeare when you're fighting a guy. You just you know Unless you're in Shakespeare. Wes is writing for the speech from Braveheart from these kids. <laughs> Damn it, where's my speech at? No, it just it just seemed I don't know. It just didn't seem real to me. I don't I don't know. But anyway, all right. We're ready for our next sequence. The next day, Daniel's trying to leave for school without his mom seeing his uh, black eye. Uh, had him covered up with sunglasses. At school, he flirts with Allie a little more and then is further humiliated when Bobby Sly tackles him during soccer tryouts and he gets expelled from the, f- the, from the field for fighting. Daniel has had some previous martial arts training, I think they say in the movie, via YMCA self-defense classes, but wants a refresher. While working out, Mr. Miyagi comes to fix the sink and they talk. Daniel then meets his mom for lunch and he sees the Cobra Kai dojo across the street. After lunch, he goes to check it out, only to discover that Johnny, Tommy, and Bobby are students there. Plus, the sensei is an ex-Special Forces Vietnam vet, John Kreese, played by Martin Cove, who runs the dojo like, like, an, like an army and emphasizes ruthlessness and ferocity. Daniel then nervously leaves. So, guys, honestly, I really like the setup for the movie. You know, he wants to learn how to fight but he doesn't want to go to where his bullies go, which obviously is going to set up the training with Miyagi later. What did you think about these, these handful of scenes here? I like a kid that can just go eat lunch with his mom and spend some quality time talking about a girl that he just met at the beach. You know, it's just, it says something for the relationship. That's a good scene though. I mean, I think the scenes with his mother are, are actually strong scenes at the point when Martin Cove's introduced. That's when you're like, okay, this is, this is where it starts to get cheesy a little bit. No offense yeah, I, to Cove. It's just his character. It's like, come on. Come on, he's yeah. still selling insurance with that. You know, come in, you guys still going. I do like I do like how the mom is like all up in the kid's like love life. It's like, man, geez, back up, mom. He's like, Hey, you getting any lately, kid? <laughs> she's just trying to she's living a little vicariously. I right. <laughs> well I was, what was strange was she was comparing her to other girls. She's cute as this one. Oh, I think she's just as cute as I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. This girl will put out faster, I swear. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did like the scene in the dojo where they kind of uh, like kind of go face to face for the first time. And, and uh, Johnny's in there just like smiling at him. Like they do set up Johnny and Daniel's rivalry really well, I think, throughout mm-hmm. the film. No, I agree. But Gay brings up an interesting point. I mean. What what school schedule is he on? He's going to beach parties all day, which could have presumably been a Sunday. But then he's at home waiting for Miyagi, then meeting his mom for lunch. Then later in the movie, he's going to Miyagi's house every day, working throughout the entire day. I mean, this is the craziest <laughs> school schedule I've ever he's, seen. Yeah. You know what kid doesn't need to attend classes? An undercover cop. Oh, there <laughs> we go. <laughs> there. 
But but yeah, you're you're right, Wes. I mean, he literally never goes to school. He's not trying to learn. He's trying to learn karate. He spends and he's trying to hook up with Elizabeth Shue. But um, no, I, I I love this sequence. But how many kids would go to that dojo that Johnny Lawrence or uh, that um that uh, that Cobra Kai dojo? How many people would go there? Like they're basically there's a fight scene, and at the end he says finish him. At the end of that day, like that kid would probably never come back. I'm just gonna say <laughs> that's awesome. Minion yeah. friends, just, that's it. It's, it's, it's a place for minions. I do friends. get very like fascist feelings from that dojo. Like there's some Nazi vibes going on there. It's yeah. made only for sadomasochists who actually want to go in there and just get beat up. Right. <laughs> Hit me again. Maybe that's where bad guys get their henchmen. That's it. This yeah, is where they get it at, at the dojo, Cobra Kai dojo. This is where they're trained. That does make sense because I was thinking, what what parent is sitting in there watching their kid do karate and is like, ah, we'll send him back to the next class. Let's sign him up. We'll send this guy eighty bucks. Uh, <laughs> Billy, I've been watching you, and you know what? You really need to. You need. Uh, you need to be humiliated more. You don't need to stand <laughs> up for yourself. You need to be beaten down and not get back up. <laughs> well, What's what's funny is that Martin Cove, he's depicted as a Vietnam veteran here. And then also in Rambo First Blood Part Two, he also plays a Vietnam veteran. Okay. And that's from 1985. And both characters' demeanors are pretty much exactly the same. And, and, and can we carry that to VFW? VFW, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the car salesman. And so, you know, what what a lot of people do is they just say that this is this is the character's timeline, that same character he's in both movies. Yeah, <laughs> nice. But I swear I busted out laughing with that that war photo on the dojo wall of him. Yes, it's yeah, just no. a little too much. So bad. It's so bad. Seen it. What? Really? <laughs> like yeah, that was, it? Really is. And then the last thing I wanted to say is that whenever they've got Ralph standing next to Elizabeth, he just looks like a tall twelve year old. It's just yeah. so strange looking that you have this beautiful like fully formed woman in elizabeth shoe standing next to uh, basically a tobacco stick with a head but she's younger than he is in reality right remember wes as you said elizabeth shoe she's mom like momly well and i think ralph macchio is a little like the boy meets world kid like he grows up but the boy meets world kid never looks old like i i I don't see why yeah he always looks like a kid to me like and so I kind of feel the same about Ralph Macchio. Am I the only one that feels that way? No. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it worked to their advantage because he was able to star in three Karate Kid movies and still look mostly like a kid, even though at that point, what he was, he probably had kids. Yeah, that is. Yeah, he was like thirty years old. Was like, they're going to quit. Hey, he went to the producers. Hey, can we change to maybe the Karate Man? Like, hell no! <laughs> You're the Karate Kid forever. I was he reading. I, I was reading a story where he fought tooth and nail to change the name of the of the movie because he didn't want to be, you know, like the Captain Kirk of of karate movies. He didn't want to be the Karate Kid, but the the producer was like, "No, no, no, we're keeping it." Well, no, this no joke. He's literally the youngest looking twenty two year old in in history. Yeah, yeah, because he looks like a shrimp compared to like he did, he looks younger than all the other kids. In the mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he would have been like sixteen if you would ask me. Must make sacred pact. I promise teach karate 
That's my part. You promise learn. I say you do. No question. That's your part. Deal? Steal? Yes. First wash all the car, then wax. Wax. Wait, why do I have to wash all the car? Remember, dear, no question. Yeah, but I... Right. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Wax on, wax off. Breathe in through nose, out the mouth. Wax on, wax off. Well, we'll uh, we'll head on to our next sequence, and it starts out, and well, we really don't know what the heck Daniel was doing all day, but somehow it's now night, and he's riding his bike back home. Johnny and his minion friends or lackeys run him off the road, and he falls down a hill, getting hurt and humiliated yet again. Daniel has a breakdown when he gets home, arguing with his mom, throwing his bike in the dumpster. Miyagi overhears the commotion. The next day, Daniel finds his, his bike fixed and finds out Miyagi is the one who repaired it. We get to know Miyagi a little more, and we get a bonsai tree pruning scene. The kids are getting ready for a Halloween dance at school, but Daniel isn't going to go. Miyagi, sensing his lack of confidence, helps Daniel with a costume. So these are really just some filler scenes here, but it's just setting up the relationship with Daniel and Miyagi. Uh, and it also shows the further mental breakdown of Daniel. And what are you guys' thoughts here? I mean, all these scenes have the same general theme I'm starting to see. You know, Daniel gets run, you know, Daniel gets run off a cliff by bikes. Daniel gets kicked out of soccer practice. You know, Wes, you try to stay neutral. How do you feel about the hero of this uh, this movie? <laughs> We're well, litigating I'll, this again. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. This is my exact thoughts on it. A shower costume? A shower <laughs> costume? What? Yeah. yeah that is a I'll tell you what right now. No hero of mine's going to wear a shower costume. <laughs> that costume did almost That is truly one of the worst Halloween costumes I've ever seen in my life. I was embarrassed for him. And this is 30 years later through a, via TV, but I'm still embarrassed. Well, how does he get a mess around in the, in the men's room and nobody can hear him? He must be sloshing and, bang, and banging into things. And I mean, geez. How does yeah, he navigate? That's your question. How does he navigate the thousands of kids in that gym with that with that curtain around him? How is he not just bumping into punch bowls? Better question is, is if he's like on the outside, like he's outside looking in, he's trying to get into the at least semi cool status at the school. Let's not like not getting beat up every day at the school. And he decides to go with that costume. That's the one you go with? Hey, I think this open that Elizabeth Shue has a sense of humor. That's what he was banking on. I I, I, I laughed when uh, Johnny is, they're running after uh, Daniel, and Elizabeth Shue just sticks her leg out, and they all topple, you know, like they're in, like, the Three Stooges or something. Like, they're all just <laughs> falling over. Stone I did laugh. Well, then, that's what happens Dang. when you get the handyman to help you make a costume. You end up as a shower. A shower, <laughs> that's a good point. That's it, a really it, good point. it could have been the toilet. And then he gets like, then he uh, has all those cars like get into an accident. Like, oh, this is yeah. just bad choice going to that uh, party. And how so many? This, I was gonna say, how many sixty-year-olds beat up four or five eighteen-year-olds? 
I, that, that, <laughs> that was is, the best part of the scene. I really got to talk about that scene. I feel like well, we hadn't even got that. We hadn't got there quite yet. Oh, but, uh, sorry. I, I no, that's all right. Bill's getting us in the DeLorean, <laughs> taking us to ten minutes from now. <laughs> Fantastic! I love when Bill does that. That's why. See, that's the kind of that's the kind of paranormal stuff you're gonna get on uh, the Phantom Galaxies, guys. Yes. Then we come yeah. back, we edit it so that we're talking to ourselves. It's genius. It's, <laughs> it's fantastical stuff. They can do anything they want, guys. So that's why we had them on the show. But um, listen, th- this this sequence is amazing. You know, back in high school, like all my friends made fun of me for taking a cooking class. But then one morning they walked in and they saw me at 9 a.m. eating food with a bunch of hot girls. And they were like, oh, man, we messed up for making fun of Gabe. Everybody made fun of Daniel's shower costume until Elizabeth Shue went in the curtain with him. And then he's a genius. That's a whole nother thing that we've got to talk about. What in the world is Elizabeth Shue doing with Daniel? (laughs) Like. <laughs> that is that relationship makes like Jessica Rabbit said. He makes me laugh. He's not even funny though. <laughs> like, yeah, either way, laughing at her with him. I mean, he's. I don't know. I just do not get that relationship. That is probably the biggest Her leap instinct. of faith. Like, it makes no sense. You know, she's popular. She like. I'm not saying it's right, but we've all been in high school. You know, this relationship would never have happened. It just would never have happened in like a real setting like oh, the kid who comes and gets beat up and is the outside like nobody knows him and then he goes ahead and starts like dating like one of the hottest girls in school no not gonna happen yeah he's like he's the mystery guy from out of town that has a weird accent but can juggle a soccer ball i buy it is he 12 mom- or 20 it's just the <laughs> yeah, is he 12 or 20 his mom takes him on dates their car <laughs> start. he shows up in a shower curtain at a party this is the guy i want to date Everybody wants a car that you have to push to start. That's cool. He no is that car. Them. That's what that's what she's looking for. He he wears spaghetti well. Yeah, this, yes. I, I just I just don't buy it. It's just another I just don't buy it. All right. So uh Daniel, again, we talked about his shower costume. He quickly finds Allie. They have a dance and they talk about how Johnny needs to be brought down a peg. Daniel's then smashed in the face with an egg and goes to the bathroom to clean up. There he sees Johnny go into one of the stalls dressed as a skeleton to roll a joint. Daniel rigs a hose over the top of the stall like he's Kevin McAllister, turns it on, and it douses Johnny. Johnny is now in hot pursuit with the other Cobra Kai members who are also dressed as skeletons. They catch up with him right as he's trying to climb the fence to his apartment complex and start really beating him up. Johnny is about to wind up for another kick when suddenly Miyagi appears. He beats up the entire gang. He takes Daniel to his workshop to fix him up. And it ends with Miyagi agreeing to teach him karate and going to speak with John Kreese. So I thought this was a really good set of scenes here. I really like the Cobra Kai's all dressed as skeletons. It's actually pretty cool. And what do you guys think? What stands out here? He gets beat up again <laughs> but it's a it's a good scene and you do see him do some instigation here you know he is kind of fighting back in his way it's a little macgyver-esque to hook up all that and do you know to get the you know put the hose in there and again you know, you're going to escape dressed as a shower and things like that but like 
the intro again miyagi's already been introduced but this is where you bring in the thing of him being kind of like you know a badass he's been kind of soft-spoken and gentle and 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 this sort of reveal it's a cool way to do it because he does just beat these kids up that's what i want in my movies uh a, a grandpa beating up young children after a school party it's fantastic <laughs> yeah i mean let me ask you guys this you know i wasn't you know, an adult in the eighties or something. Was it just different where you could just go around as an adult and just beat up a bunch of kids and it's okay. <laughs> uh, laws, were laws different back then? Well, and the other question is it's beside a large apartment complex. Not one single person saw or heard anything. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Like there's nobody overlooking on a balcony. Nobody hears anything. They just, they could have been slaughtered there and then nobody would have known a thing, you know? <laughs> Nobody, also, nobody wants to mess with karate skeletons, Bill. <laughs> karate skeletons are scary. Regular skeletons are scary, but karate skeletons are even scarier. So they're just yeah, turn away. they're scary until an old an old man shows up and beats them down. <laughs> Plus, I didn't realize that he lit that they lived right next to the school. <laughs> uh, like, they just yeah. totally like don't even talk about that until he has to run away, and it's just one field. <laughs> and I always hope. Oh, it's convenient. He's that close to school, and he still manages to get beat up traveling back and forth all the time. Like he's still getting beat up all the time. Just run through that field more. But regardless, you know that is a well done scene. I do like it where he's like coming over the fence. It's just a little strange rewatching it, and it's like a sixty year old versus all these teenagers. I don't know. Just. Very strange. It's well choreographed, though. It does. I mean, it, it it doesn't come off as cheesy as you'd expect it to come off. That's true. I do actually like that one kid. I think it's Tommy being like, "Don't do it, Johnny. He's had enough." And Johnny's like, "I'll tell you when he's had enough." Speaking of how it looks so real, and the the fight choreograph was was really good. That last spin kick that Daniel was hit with before he saved by Miyagi actually hit Ralph Macchio, and it hurt him. This, the whole fight scene, it endured numerous takes because the actors, the kids, the actors complained that Fumo Damara, who was a stunt double, stunt double for Pat, was hitting them too hard, which <laughs> caused the scene to lose some of the choreography and authenticity whenever he wasn't going as hard on them. So apparently... Whenever they were, you know, rehearsing or some of the other takes, he, he was really beating them up pretty good. So this movie has some meta to it, meta commentary, where in the movie, a 60-year-old is beating up kids. And in real life, uh, a, an older person was beating up these kids. Oh, <laughs> that makes but, me happy. But, but, but I, I do got to say, the person that set up all the fights and all that, his name was Pat, Pat E. Johnson. And he was the guy that played the referee at the end, the, the mustache guy. Mm-hmm. And and he was a real life martial arts guy, and a lot of the actors and all that they gave him a lot of credit. He took the guys like Pat, um, Zabka and Macchio and those guys. They knew nothing about karate, and basically for one whole month put them through the rigors, and said, "This is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to do." So all the all the credit of the fight scenes goes to this referee Pat E. Johnson. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good call out. And another thing that the stunt double did is he told the director, he said, if you would just let me use my own students, we could get this in one in one take and be done. The director agreed. They shot the fight scene successfully in one take. And one of the doubles is a descendant of the legendary King of the Frontier, 
Davy Crockett. So just some uh, some little you know stuff. <laughs> that is very. I like, gotta, I like all these guests are bringing in this knowledge. You know, we needed to be more cultured. Like if I had made another comment, I was going to be like, I don't know if that apartment complex should be within fifty feet of a school. But you guys <laughs> went a complete. is not allowed to be within fifty feet of a school. Yeah, Gabe and I don't give actual facts. We give nonsense. The next day, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi go to the Cobra Kai dojo. Ultimately, they agree that Daniel will enter the All Valley Under 18 Karate Tournament and will be left alone to train. Kreese warns that if he doesn't show up, it'll be open season on both Miyagi and Daniel. Mr. Miyagi takes Daniel to his home to begin training. They make a pact that Daniel will not question his training or his methods. And although Daniel does this like three or four times as the movie progresses, first he has to wash and wax about a dozen classic cars. He's very specific with how Daniel has to wash and, and, and wax the cars. Next in his training, he has to sand a large walkway, again giving very specific instructions of how it's supposed to be done. Then he has to stain a fence on both sides that goes around Miyagi's entire backyard. Daniel is getting more and more frustrated with each chore. When asked to paint the house, Daniel finally blows up and says he's being used for free labor. Miyagi then shows him the reasons he's been having him do these things, how to apply the breathing, the muscle memory, and muscle tone he's been building up with the chores. So, well, after we've broken about a ton of, of California child labor laws, we're finally getting to some uh, karate training. What do you guys think about these scenes? I had two thoughts on this. Uh, uh, first of all, am I the only one that thought a guy that's probably making barely over minimum wage has one hell of a setup? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, at first I thought he lived in that closet, but then when they <laughs> took him with the trees, and then when they took him to the house, I was yeah. like, oh, well, he doesn't live in the closet. That's like an epic backyard he's got. Like, I mean, how he, did he, he create? He's, he's got to have $10,000 worth of lumber. Like, holy yeah. cow. I, you know, I chose the wrong career. I need He's to be running a legal steroid ring. This is why <laughs> Daniel is the undercover cop trying to bust him. It's, it's all very clear. Nathan <laughs> is not letting go of this undercover cop thing. <laughs> it's the plot of the film. The, the, uh, other part, the, the other way I could get through watching The Karate Kid. The, the other part of this scene that has one of my favorite lines of the entire film, and there's lots of one-line zingers in this in this film, is right after he comes in and he says he's going to, he finally convinces Miyagi to be the sensei and teach him this, that. He goes, what kind of belt do you have? Canvas, you like? JC Penny, 398. <laughs> I started laughing. Hey, what kind of belt do you have? Canvas, you like? <laughs> JC Penny, 398. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean a belt like that. I meant. Okinawa, belt me, no need rope, hold up pants. <laughs> That was great. That was really good. I do love that scene. But what I will say about this sequence is that's what I remember about the Karate Kid. If I, I, I'm very seldomly serious. But when, you know, he'd been doing all these chores and then it finally comes time, then he get he questions him and he's and then he starts like punching at him and he does the blocks and stuff. I was like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> I really was. I was like, oh, he was teaching him all this stuff and he's awesome at it now. That's so cool that he used all that stuff to to get the muscle memory, but, it, but in real life, I, I don't know if I would have gone nearly as far as Daniel did doing all these chores. Two but weeks is, later. Why am I having to do all this? Yeah. 
<laughs> right at, at that point is all this stuff is done. Um, and you can't get beyond the fact that he did get free labor. But it's uh, these are kind of the heart of the movie scenes, really. I mean, a lot of the Karate Kid is training scenes. But you get beyond Daniel being beaten up. You know, you kind of break the movie down. You get to this. This is kind of where the heart of the movie is. This is where a lot of – this is where I do think the direction is relatively strong. And the, where the relationship comes to the foreground. And you get, you know, they're bonding in a lot of different ways here. And yes, you are getting also the things Miyagi's trying to teach him are presented in such a way that they impact the audience the same way. If you're a young kid watching this, it's like, oh yeah, he did teach him this. He was getting these things while he was headed towards something else. You know, that he, he he's laser focused. He wants to learn karate and he's been teaching him this whole time. You know, a lot of the those elements are presented in such a way. It, it's It's hard, I think, to do that, particularly when you see how silly some of the other scenes in the movie come off that if these sequences weren't here i don't think it would feel like a movie that has any sort of substance to it but it does because of because of that yeah i I agree i think this is the best part section in the in the movie is like him training him like not understanding what mr miyagi's like method is and thinking he's like getting played um and then he's starting to learn like in that great scene of him showing him all the moves i mean that that scene really is good and i just gotta call out you know pat morita's performance because it really is the heart and soul of the movie like i think a lot of the teenager stuff doesn't work i don't think the dating stuff works none of that really works the cheesy 80s song doesn't work but i think his performance and his role still works Mm -hmm. and it holds up well. I can see why he was nominated for best supporting actor because he just, everything about his character is so original, so well done and realistic. I think to kind of what they're going for. I just love it in rewatching. I'm like, Oh, this is why the movie was popular. This is why people still like it for his performance. Was it ever explained why he has all the cars there? No, he's a baller. Yeah. He's the man. (laughs) Apparently he's got to be doing some type of side hustle. Like, did, like, did he have a junkyard or something? Was he an avid collector? Like, I think he was a collector. Like, That's he must have I... had at least fifty cars there. Mm. Well, yeah. I think, I think part of that too is that element of these are all these layers to him. You know, he gives him some mystery. You know, I'm making the joke about always oh, a he's a drug lord or something. But the the idea is there are all these sort of back elements that we don't know about him. We learn a little bit about him, but he is obviously a lot more than the handyman. I think some of the movie does extraordinarily well through the sequence because of the Marita, like you were saying, Tommy, is that this surrogate father element, which is so played out in a lot of other movies, even around this time, is developed in a very kind of delicate and tender way. I think here, you know, Daniel is worried about getting played and about someone just using him or not really truly caring about him and things like that. And the way Miyagi kind of progresses through showing him the care and kind of being that surrogate father without it being overblown, I don't really feel that it is. You know, it, it feels like a gentle, genuine sort of thing. I think that's really kind of impressive because I, usually I roll my eyes at that sort of thing or it just doesn't come off as genuine. And that's happening underneath all the training. You can see the father son sort of elements or the ways in which Daniel is resistant to that. He's resistant to a lot of this because he is worried about getting played or having someone who isn't going to care about him anymore. Yeah, it's a great point. I think um, that aspect, and that's kind of what I noticed too, is that surrogate father aspect. It kind of developed naturally throughout the film and it actually ends up bringing the heart of the film together, I think. And then another scene that was really well done in the sequence is when they go back to the do- dojo and 
they set up the the fight, you know, the, that's going to happen in a couple months. And I just love the end sequence where, first of all, they talk about open season. It, that's a little weird, right? He's like, it's open season on the kid and open season on you. Like, so what are they going to do? Just like, like fight like, him all the time. This <laughs> is like you're like, Vietnam really got to this guy. He's not far off from John Rambo. Right? <laughs> it's open season on you. Um, but I do love at the end when yeah, when Pat like at the end he like kind of pushes Daniel's son behind him and he they kind of walk out back together. It's like he's protect. So it kind of builds that fatherly aspect of it, you know, throughout the film naturally. I think which is really well done. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know back at the dojo where the sequence started, Martin Cove is really the greatest karate instructor of all time. Everyone in his class is a black belt. Except for the poor African-American kid who has a green belt. And I, I guess he was brand new. And after a week, you know, he already had the green belt. And then you got this dojo full of white kids. And they choose the one poor African-American kid to get knocked out by a black belt. So and, and we, all know, we all know who that actor is. Eh? That's Larry B. Scott, who was the gay guy in Revenge of the Nerd. Oh, the more I, you know. Again. I cut that in. And he was also in Snake Eater 2, Drug Buster. That's definitely a Tubi special. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot believe they made a Snake Eater 1 even, and the fact that there's a 2 is just insane it to me. Blow it games I had never heard of him. I had to look him Bill up. Bill was right. in both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going really right in this world or really bad when there's a sequel. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to our next sequence Daniel and Allie go on their first date Daniel doesn't make a good first impression to Allie He's very wealthy parents as Him and his mom have to push start to Bill's favorite car However, <laughs> Allie doesn't seem to care And Daniel and her have fun on their date Daniel continues his training Learning defensive techniques While out fishing and on the beach He sees Miyagi doing this crane technique And wants to learn Daniel and Allie are scheduled for another date and he shows up to pick her up at the country club. Her parents don't want her to go and want are trying to force her on to Johnny. Johnny and her dance. Daniel sees them dancing. Johnny kisses Allie. Daniel tries to run out. Allie smacks Johnny. And while Daniel's running out, he crashes in to this cook carrying a large thing of red sauce. Daniel is once again humiliated. And everyone laughs at him aside from Allie, obviously. So aside from Daniel's training, you know, there's just a, a bunch more scenes in here that are trying to enhance the secondary plot line of the love story. Nonetheless, most of it's still pretty entertaining. What did you guys think? Let me guess, Tommy. You're going to say, oh, Daniel, you're such an a-hole. Ruining that chef's whole big plate of spaghetti that he spent two hours preparing. <laughs> Daniel, I cannot believe you knocked it over and ruined everybody's meals. Well, is, that, is that what you're going with? It's rude, yes, but for two reasons. First, that <laughs> chef put a lot of effort into that, and that's his job. And he might be able, he might get fired for that. And those people are hungry, and they deserve <laughs> to eat. But seriously, I know we're jumping towards the end of that sequence. But is that scene not ridiculous when he spills all that spaghetti and everybody starts laughing? Oh, I know. Like, it's just so unrealistic. Bloody laughing. Like, no, that would not happen. Like, all those adults laughing. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> weird. Upon rewatch, I kind of feel, I love Elizabeth Shue, but upon rewatch, the romance stuff just does not really work that well. Like, just this is the stuff of a, uh, this needs like a John Hughes or something. And this is just the dumb 80s comedy. You know, that's the difference between this movie and Rocky, right? That relationship in Rocky actually is a center piece of the, that film. 
And uh, now, of course, the crane, the, the you know, the crane kick and that stuff there on the on the beach and the fishing thing. I mean, that's that you look at that and say, oh, yeah, I can see how this is the director of Rocky. That stuff's really good. But this stuff is is where I just kind of like, you know, I think why I could connect back in the day with Karate Kid. It's just like, we need this. Yeah, I almost think they could have lost a lot of this stuff. I just, you know, the movie's already long and I don't know if they should lose it all, but. I just don't think the relationship stuff works in the movie at all. It almost seems like a side plot that I found myself not being interested in, wanting to fast forward it and being like, why is this part of the movie? It's so, obligatory, a and she's really just used as, like, she's between the two of them. We don't get as much character development with her as we'd like, particularly since, you know, Elizabeth Shue is playing her. Let's give her something more to do. I, I would have I almost do. rather them do a build up William Zopka a little bit more versus her character. But, you know, yeah, I, I think, think that, you're both right, but I hate to n- disagree with Nathan, like, because he's really had my back <laughs> this episode, but, and I do love the crane kick sequence, but I hate the beach sequence. Like, Hey, let me teach you balance. Okay. Go stand in the ocean. Like, like I, I didn't love that sequence. Like if you haven't learned to stand in waves, like, you know, by now you're 22 or balance. Was I the only one that thought that Pat Reed was having too much fun tipping him over? <laughs> that was good. That was well earned at that point. And, and then I like that. Did you see where the villain of Dark Man showed up as like the drunk on the beach? Mary Drake. Yeah. Mary Drake. Yeah. 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 It's like, what is he doing here? You know, not to go around that guy. That's the guy that can't go near the school. <laughs> I do like that the scene where he karate chops the tops of the beer bottles off. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. First time. First time. <laughs> yeah. Standing in the ocean stuff's not great, but all that like iconic, you know, yeah, I do with love him the on the PA stuff. That's the stuff. That stuff is well done. Yeah, I agree. Like that stuff all works. That stuff is still really good. It's just, I just feel like there's a lot of filler in this movie. It's just too long for this type of film. And the the, the irony of that scene is there's no such karate move called the crane. The producer or the writer made that up, and they and they had to create this move. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Well, what's great about it, everybody wanted to learn the crane kick. It's, it it's, seems like a really bad move. Like, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. It's a good move for some <laughs> foreshadowing, though, Tommy. If you're going to, if you know that you're going to get a leg broken yeah. in a karate tournament coming up, you really know how to, need to know how to kick and then land on the same true. leg. And true. you have to good hold your, your hands out like wings, or arms and hands out like Let wings. Let me poise myself so all the soft parts are perfectly open for attack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's leave my hands out so I can't block anything. We call this move the open groin. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the sauce incident... At Miyagi's house, Daniel finds him drunk, dressed in his military uniform. Daniel has a drink and helps him to bed. He finds that both Miyagi is a war hero and that his wife and child died during the child's birth. Daniel bows to his teacher. As training continues, Daniel learns how to throw punches. For Daniel's 16th birthday, he gets his license, has cake with Miyagi, receives both a gi and a bonsai patch, and his choice of a classic car, which he chooses a yellow 1948 Ford Super Deluxe. Daniel's confidence is now high, and he goes to find Allie where they make up. So what did you guys think about these scenes? There were some that were pretty bad. 
Um, there are some that were, I would say, humorous and and powerful at the same time. One part of his directing I didn't like in this sequence was I found the part of him drunk and and explaining everything to Daniel. I, I really liked that. I thought that was pretty good. It was funny. There's no doubt it was funny. But after I had figured it out as an audience member that the daughter had died and the wife had died, he had spelled it all out. Why did he have to read the note re-explaining it to everybody? He already said what happened. Why yeah. did he have to hear it again? <laughs> But I de- that is a hard scene, though, you know, because it, it is funny uh, and we could go into that. But it is, you know, I really connected with that scene because it, it was really hard, you know, and I, I like that that sequence quite a bit. And, and for Miyagi to remember the exact dialogue from 45 years later. Wow. What a memory. It must be sharp as attack. This guy. <laughs> <laughs> Bill watches these movies with CGI snakes and pterodactyls and stuff, and he's trying to apply very strict logic to the Karate Kid. Uh, Bill has a Tubi standard. Got to meet yeah. the Tubi standard. Like, well, I what did crack I... up with uh, with Miyagi getting getting shit house. That was hilarious. <laughs> Less Elizabeth Shue, more Miyagi getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I, go ahead. I love, go ahead. I love the sequence when he gives uh, Danielson some pure grain alcohol for the first time. You know, that's a, that's not only has this old man kicked uh, kicked uh, the ass of several like sixteen year old kids. He's also serving uh, minors uh, straight alcohol. And, and not only does he serve it to him, he laughs at him. <laughs> yeah, he don't he don't care. He don't play. The real would be more Miyagi drunk, and then he trains Elizabeth Shue. That that would be the movie. That's what I think Karate Kid Two should have been. <laughs> well, what about the what about the next day when you know Miyagi's obviously hungover, still trying to teach Daniel how to fight, and he gets That's all sexist great. on him when he tells Daniel he hits like a girl. I started cracking up at that. He was hungover. He was like, "Dang, I just need to get to bed." The scene with the the cars, though, I think is really good. Actually, like yeah. when they when yeah. he hands him. Like, that's a really well done scene. But then I was like, really, Daniel, you're going to pick the best car, like the coolest one there. Like, and, you don't. And, and did, he, did he happen to pick the one car that had gasoline in it? Yeah. The, <laughs> that was one of his favorite car. It would have been mine. He's like, oh, not that one. I drive that one everywhere. Oh, Mr. Miyagi. Hmm. You think I had a chance of winning? Win, lose, no matter. No, that's not what I mean. I had good chance. Well, can you fix my leg? I mean, with that thing you do? No need fight anymore. You prove a point. What point? That I can take a beating? I mean, every time I see those guys, they're going to know they got the best of me. I'll never have balance that way. Not with them, not with Allie. Not with me. Close the eye. We're now up to the tournament. So we're we're starting to get this uh, movie wrapped up. Allie, Miyagi, and his mom join Daniel. As he's signing up for the tournament, find out 
that he needs to have a black belt or, or he, he needs to say what belt he is. They make up that he's a black belt and Miyagi again, giving no F's whatsoever, just steals a belt. <laughs> That's what me, Chris did, me, right? Chris me, stole like seven belts. Miyagi, not Miyagi. Miyagi. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's spelling it, still in belt, but uh, Daniel, much to his surprise, does well in the tournament, even getting through his first several opponents. Later, he starts to face some of the Cobra Kai's, beating both Tommy and Dutch. Kreese starts to get a little concerned and orders Bobby to illegally hurt Daniel's knee. We think Daniel is out of the tournament, but Miyagi uses some kind of special hand-warming trick to fix his knee. <laughs> he comes back out to face Johnny in the final. They have a good battle. Kreese orders Johnny to go after his injured knee. On his re-injured knee, Daniel uses the crane kick or the, you know, soft tissue, the open soft tissue <laughs> tissue technique. To, wide open groin. The wide open groin, that's what I was looking for. To defeat Johnny, winning the tournament. Johnny says, you're all right, LaRusso. And Daniel is carried off champion. The movie ends with uh, Miyagi smiling you know, just like the true gangster that he is. So uh, we made it. What did you guys think about the tournament and the ending of the movie? Am I the only one that gets riled up when I hear you're the best? I I, I love that song. 40 years later, I still love you're the best. And I was reading up on it. That song was actually written for Rocky three. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Were you throwing some air punches, some Tommy patented <laughs> air punches, Bill? No, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy talks trash about the soundtrack. Bill, I love the soundtrack. I love the putt putt song that comes on the cheesy eighties music and I love You're the Best. You know. What's I, his I name? Like Joe Joe Esposito, is that the guy's name? Something like that. Who did the song? Yeah, it was but they went with Eye of the Tiger, so they had this leftover song. <laughs> so they used it for this one. It it just it's one of those songs that just drills into your brain and it just gets stuck there. And I, I saw this movie about two weeks ago. I guess I rewatched it, and no joke, for three or four days after that, I'd just be you know doing chores around them. You're the best, and I was like, ah, stupid it, song. It Ever does since fit the in- summer. My kids just yell at Alexa, play the best around or the final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> the final countdown. It does fit into Tommy's uh, like. Like things about eighties movies where it the song goes right into the movie, you know, like it's yeah. describing what's happening in the movie. You're the best right after he wins. I, I didn't know <laughs> yes, that. I love He's that. He's doing like, dishes now. He fell into spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like they they always go with the most like obvious musical choice. He just won. You're a winner. You won. <laughs> It's so cheesy. Like I don't know if it worked in because I wasn't old enough to watch those movies then, so I don't know what people thought then. But just like watching it now, it's just so obvious cheesy. It's like ugh. Great when they try to jam it into movies where it doesn't make any sense. Like the horror movie Cat's Eye from the eighties, and it's like Cat's Eye. He has cat's eyes. You're like really, really. (laughs) (laughs) What I enjoyed watching it is I always wondered who was that guy that was in the semifinals. Not Daniel, the, the other semifinal that lost to Johnny. His name, if you look on the board, his name is just Vidal. In the, <laughs> in the closing credits, he's only known as semifinalist. And I actually looked into the guy's name was Daryl Vidal. And he, <laughs> he was a karate guy 
who the scouts found in competitions. And they said, hey, do you want to get into this film or whatever? And he's like, okay, sure, whatever. So he went into the training for the whole month with the karate people and did it all. He he, he was a stand-in on the beach for the uh, for Pat Morita. So he was also doing the crane thing. And he was the guy that said, you know, you, there is no such move as this. But the, the, the writer said, you know, you got to create this move. And because he had the experience, he did it. And, but what I found out is he, I, I found a podcast where he was a guest on it. And in it, he said, you know, there's that when the, when the competition opens and you see the kids fighting and all that, the creators of the film had three separate tournaments from local dojos created for the film. That was actual footage from one of these three uh, competitions that were created. So uh, there is an air of reality. Now, the final scene where, where I found so cheesy that everybody's cheering him on. Nobody knows who the hell he is, but they're all cheering for him. But, but, so that was not real. But the, a lot of the, the long shot footages of big crowds were actual tournaments that were created for this filming. Well, I'll keep waiting until we cover Commando later on. And, you know, Bill, (laughs) if you want to come on for that and we find out the huge backstory of Henchman number 37 who gets his head blown off. Commando is a great movie. But, um, (laughs) well, Bill Bill brings up an interesting point there, which is sort of in the context of the film, right? Like, you got these other... What do the other participants in this karate tournament think when you're watching all this stuff happen with Kreese television? people to like beat the you know kick this kid's leg in and we've got all these other imagine that you're a competitor in this and you're looking at you're like what the hell's wrong with these? there's a there's a handyman and a kid over here that i've never seen before <laughs> and then you've got this guy this dojo who seems to beat his beat his kids for fun what do you think about it you're like, i'm just here to practice i'm gonna go you know out with my dad and and, and celebrate at pizza hut afterwards and what the hell are these people doing <laughs> it is it is highly strange, and the referee could clearly hear him telling him that he's gonna. He wants him to break his leg. It was very audible. <laughs> like it's highly concerning. No adult stepped in from the audience or the, the parents. Well, you know what's funny is if you rewatch the film and you see the final two minutes or whatever, like there's these women in the crowd going, "Come on, Daniel! How the hell would they know his name? How the hell? Would, why would they cheer for this Does guy?" Does Paparita pay them? I, I did really like this tournament sequence, and, and I see what you're saying, Bill. And I really like the story that you told because that does set up some perspective because, you know, I'd never wondered that in depth. I don't ever look at a film and go that deep, but you did. <laughs> and I'm glad you did for our audience because um, we need stuff like that on the show. If I'm just making random jokes, it's not as good. But I do want to say, did it, anybody else, like, get kind of bugged, like, by uh danielson's karate like he had never learned how to kick and i there i'd never seen a sequence where he learned how to kick and suddenly he's throwing these fantastical kicks and uh and i'm like when did he learn that he he was when he was doing it out of a book oh. yeah mm-hmm. at the beginning they were showing him how he was and he was like oh you learned from book uh-huh. <laughs> i think i was also just grateful that they left something off screen you know for the two or three times like just something that i didn't have to see him do <laughs> Something from the handyman get drunk to him fall into spaghetti. I didn't need to see him learn every single kick. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, That's the best That's comment, thing. Nathan, I've ever heard. I'm just thankful they left something off screen. It's like when people listen to this podcast, they wish we would leave like uh, 30 <laughs> to 45 minutes off of it. 
<laughs> we're only 30 or 40 minutes in it. You get two versions. <laughs> now, I'm going to say something naughty. I don't know if you guys are going to cut this out Wait. or whatever. But How come you don't preface that on my show? You just say it. <laughs> well, because I can say it and swear on this one. I can't do that on, on the other show. <laughs> Am I the only one that thought Elizabeth Shue was probably a naughtier girl than they portrayed? <laughs> oh, God. Dang, Bill. <laughs> Being a cheerleader, she probably had a little bit of fun in that back locker room. <laughs> and, wow. And, and would she have had enough energy That's after crazy. all this? Would Daniel have had the energy to get some hooky pooky after he was tired as hell after this fight? <laughs> I, I don't know. It sounds like Bill's the one that's been watching Red Tooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bill's the one on the Red Tooth. Put the Sutra. So let's uh, let's do this as as we're we're closing the episode out and, and wrapping things up. Let's just everybody just your final thoughts on the Karate Kid. You know your rating recommendation, whatever you want to throw out. But Gabe, this was your choice. Let's start with you. I love uh, I love this movie. Um, and Bill said something. It's, it, he said a lot of off the wall stuff today, but he did say. <laughs> He did say some something that I quote, and it's really the only thing I've stolen from anybody else that said anything on a podcast. You don't have to make an excuse for a movie if you really love it. And yeah, I can, I, I know what Tommy's going to say. He's going to trash on the movie, uh, but but something about this movie I just loved. And so the old me would have made an excuse for it. Yeah, I know the acting's bad, and yeah, I know some of the scenes are bad, but I, I love it. Takes me back to the '80s. I even love Mr. Miyagi's like uh, rub hands together. And then he suddenly got one of those shock machines from the ER that, that, you know, brings like a section of your body back to life. I love everything about this movie. I love the open hand. He's got all those cars. It's because he's a massage therapist, a famous <laughs> massage you. therapist. That rubbing warm hands thing came in handy and he's, no one knows about it. But, but then I like the movie. I think everybody should watch it. I love the show that it is. It, it it made the movie relevant again, and we've got all kinds of people going back and watching the movies, and I'm excited about that. I'm very glad that you brought us on to talk about this because I'm I'm not, I wasn't a huge fan of this. Even when I went back and watched it with the kids, I still enjoyed it. But really, kind of sitting there and, and talking about it and going back and rewatching, trying to re, you know concentrate on those elements that uh, that are strong about it. You know, it it is a strong movie. It's it's really cheesy. I don't necessarily connect with all of it. Um, and yes, some of the acting is cheesy, some of the directing cheesy, but in there also are great, greatly directed scenes, are great acting. Uh, it, really, not enough can be said about the Pat Morita performance. It is so good. It's so real. It feels so believable. He was honestly good in all of those other movies, even when they weren't good. But here it's like a perfect... Um, just in his, his relationship with Ralph Macchio, and even Macchio, some of his... Um, the chemistry that he and Shu have, you want to see them in a different movie where someone was going to write a good, you know, love story for them. But I, I really enjoy it. I think it's a good, uh, it is a, it is a good movie. Uh, it wasn't my favorite of the martial arts movies growing up, but th there's still a lot to really like about this and you can show it to new audiences and they're still going to connect with that, that primary relationship at the, at the heart of the movie. Yeah, I think it's one of those films that I would I, I don't want to use the word timeless because it's not a timeless film, but it is a film that has withstood the generations and it still gets shown. Uh, 
And it does have that message of, you know, we don't stand for bullying and the young, the underdog wins and that kind of thing, which gets overplayed a lot. But this is one of the ones that, you know, when all the, the kind of crap hits the fan, this one will still stand out. And, and be it that we're of an age that people were 12 then now or in a little bit of power or it's just got that message. Or Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita, does have a fantastic, fantastic performance in this. But it, I think it is a movie that, you know, even to the next generation, if it, whenever I show my daughter, she might will remember it and she will show her. It'll be it'll end up being one of those movies, you know, like To Kill a Mockingbird. It's not at that acting level, but it gets recycled a lot. And I think this is going to be one of those films that will still get recycled. Uh, it's not at the Rocky level, but of that ilk. Yeah, I think you got to let us have right. it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't hate this movie. I think it's like one of those movies that's half good and half bad, if that makes sense. Like, there's some really yeah. good stuff in it. The stuff with Pat Marie, like we've talked about, is really good. He's great in the film, great character. And the stuff with the dojo and him learning karate and those sequences are really well done. All the stuff with, like we've talked about, Elizabeth Shue and the mom and the high school, that just doesn't work and it doesn't hold up well. So it's a good rewatch. It's definitely one of those that if you hadn't seen it in a while, I would definitely rewatch it. But I wouldn't expect, I think you'll see kind of what we're talking about where what you remember is that, you know, growing up, it, it's not one of those classic films. Like you said, it's not Rocky. It's not one of those movies that you will love again. But there is enough good stuff in there that you'll still at least probably enjoy it. I really don't have too much to add because you guys, I mean, we've already got four opinions on it. But uh, again, I, I enjoy the movie. It's a fun movie to sit down and watch. I enjoyed my revisit uh, preparing for this episode. But, you know, it has a lot of things just to kind of laugh and, and poke fun at. But, uh, I mean, it's obviously done something right. I mean, it's uh, it came out in 1984, and they still have a TV show going that's uh, tied into it. So it's got some, some positive. Again, I really love Pat's performance, especially going from a comedic uh, role into uh, this very serious, for the most part, role. Uh, he did a great job. And, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it feels very 80s. And I like going back to that uh, to that time period and, and watching the movies from the 80s. I was going to say, you guys that have watched Cobra Kai, I know that they kind of have flashback sequences and such. Do they bring back any of the 80s music in the TV show? Yeah. Yeah, they that, do. Yeah, They do, and it's part of the awesomeness of, of who Johnny Lawrence is. You know, he's in his car, and he's listening to 80s metal music, and then they bring back some of the music when they go to the putt and play or whatever it's called um so yeah definitely you'd really like the show i think bill um honestly because they they really kind of delve into the character and they are they're extrapolating so it's not just we don't just hear songs from the karate kid it's like lawrence is still living and breathing the 80s and they show it is both funny and pathetic and also a part of who he is it's it's done pretty well and awesome and yeah. it, and, it, and they make it awesome too so but. Well, Nathan and 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 Bill, just Nathan, if you will, just again tell our audience where they can find Phantom Galaxy. Uh, you can find Phantom Galaxy on a lot of the places where your podcasts are. You can find, we're 
also at phantomgalaxypodbean.com. We have a Facebook page. We're going to start a, a Facebook group soon for Phantom Galaxy. Uh, we're on Twitter. That is uh, Phantom Galaxy with an F over there, F-A-N-T-O-M, Galaxy. And, and uh, yeah, we've... Uh, we're we're got a lot of episodes are coming out here in February. You can hear T Man's on an upcoming episode where we uh, with with a couple other guests as well, where we delve into the first season of the X Files, and that's going to be hopefully a continuing uh, a continuing series. And he's going to come back and join us as well. I gave him all all uh, what thirty minutes of advance notice <laughs> before, you, <laughs> before you joined, but uh, it, it was a great time. That's going to be coming up. We've got some other great stuff <laughs> so we but we'd love to have you guys on uh again over there and um we we love the show and thanks again thanks for allowing us to talk to karate kid and let me get a uh, a better perspective on it and learning who every actor was related to in the cast that was good bill thanks <laughs> no <problem>. <laughs> <laughs> and bill if you will just tell the audience where they can find land of the creeps all right well as well as my great friend uh, nathan here we do phantom galaxy i'm on land of the creeps podcast which is land of the creeps blogspot.com it's on all the major switch um switch all the major uh podcast suppliers you can find us uh, just type it into google you can find land of the creeps with greg morgan dave becker and myself we're out every second tuesday we have lots of content, any topic, we take it and we handle it. We're interactive. We'd love to have you come over. Go to Phantom Galaxy, go to Land of the Creeps, and that'll pretty much kill your evening. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to Land of the Creeps, it'll kill uh, most of your next day as well. <laughs> you kill, use up time, or also ruin it. I can't tell what you were saying there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in all seriousness... Uh, thank you both for coming on. We we love Phantom Galaxy. We love Land of the Creeps. They're, they're both great shows. And audience, we hope you've enjoyed this episode as, as much as we did. And a couple of things we're going to ask you to do to support our efforts here at Real Talk. A big thing you can do to help grow our show is subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Anytime we release a new episode, it'll download to your library and be waiting for you. If you get an opportunity, leave us a rating or review on that same platform as well. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on social media. We're Twitter at Real, R-E-E-L underscore cast. We're on Facebook. We have a Real Talk Movie Podcast page. We have a brand new Instagram page, official Real Talk Podcast, ran by a friend of the show, Ren Burnett. And finally, we want to thank artist Matt Holland for designing our podcast logo. Our podcast logo. And for us, that's a wrap.